Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm recording this on Friday, April 22nd. At this time, the Pacers are down 2-1 in their best of seven round one series against the Toronto Raptors. On this week's podcast, you'll hear my conversation with former Pacer Luis Scola. That was prior to game three. And then I'll be breaking down the series with NBA.com's John Schumann, who has an outstanding hold on the game. If you haven't done so already, and I don't know what's taking you so long, Subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. In iTunes, all you got to do is load up iTunes, click on the music store, go to the search tab, search Pacers. It's the first result. Click that, then click subscribe, and boom. Right when a new podcast is posted, you'll be one of the first to have it on your phone. Also, tell a friend about the podcast, and if you like it, please leave a review. Let's get to it. Prior to game three in the locker room, talking with Luis Skoll. Luis, kind of funny how things work out. You move on to Toronto and face your former team in the first round. Yep, yep. It's just the way it is, you know. <laughs> we, I've been changing teams uh, two or three times now in the NBA, so you have to face your teams every once in a while, and it's always, you know, different and, you know, kind of weird. But uh, this time is even more because it's the playoff. But, you know, after a, a game or two, it kind of becomes more. What have you seen from Paul Georges in general this season? Just the the leap he's made over the last year or so, considering he had that serious leg injury? He uh, he continues to get better at a steady pace. You know, last year with the injury raised some question to people, you know, how he was going to come back. But he came back at the same pace that he was before he he got hurt. He's playing really well with the, with, with the agreement that uh, David's not here, the ball is not here. You know, so he became the guy mainly. He's been thrusted into that, even like it or not, kind of thing. Yes, and from the outside, I'm not here anymore. But from the outside, it looks like he feels very comfortable. Yeah, that's taking time. We've we've seen that, and we've seen this leadership. You know, everything takes time. It doesn't happen easy. You can't become a leader overnight. You can't become scorer overnight. You can't become a defender overnight. Every time you want to change something that is not natural with you, it will take time. But he's doing really well, and he's got the talented. So when you got the talented, things are easier. You, know, you there's more. This it's easier to be a leader when you got the talent and you score 30 points back to back nights in the playoffs on the road. You know. People will listen to you more, so that's a little bit of an edge he has. Last thing on the old days, did you notice that it's the Spurs and Memphis matching up, so it's David and Lance squaring uh, off? I didn't notice that. I did not notice that. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to pay attention to that matchup. It was kind of like a boring matchup, but now... You, there's you, uh, there's you, a reason to watch. Yeah. You, you had pointed comments about Valanciunas and how it could be whatever he wants to be. What have you liked sitting right next to you? But what, <laughs> that's kind of funny, but what, what have you liked about his what development over the last couple of years? To me. 
Don't say anything negative. No, no, he's you know he's been growing a lot throughout this year. I haven't had the chance to play with him in the past, but he's been growing this year a lot, and he's bec- he's making a stride to become this great center, you know, this dominant center. Top two, top three, maybe all NBA center. Do you see similarities like I do in that how this Pacers team has always struggled in the past? Per Antic gave the guys trouble. Uh, Marcin Gortat a little bit. It seems like it's kind of been an ongoing issue for the team over the last couple of years is defending that spot, and especially those guys that can stretch out a little bit. Yes and no, yes, uh, because they were the same position, but no, because the, the, all the players you name very different type of style of basketball, you know, Andres was shooter, and, you know, we, in the years that I've been here, we struggled a lot with centers that can shoot the ball, and, uh, and that was a, a biggest problem, I, I, Jonas' game is different, and for some reason he's finding very comfortable in this matchup, I'm sure they're going to try to adjust that, I'm sure, you know, they're going to work on their roles, uh, that we have a lot of layups and dunks and alley-oops and all that, so... I'm sure the next few games of the series is going to be different, but that's pretty much what basketball is all about. You know, you they try to deny you what you do best. You come back with a different punch, adjust, and hopefully you come back to what you actually do best. You know, and you go back and forth with that. There's a reason why they were trying so hard to. Uh, eliminate Kai and Demar from the game, and that opens chances for somebody else. Now, with two back-to-back 2020 games or 2016, whatever it was from from Jonas, I'm sure they're thinking about it. Okay, you know, is this a good deal for us? And they will decide. So there's a chance that it will be less opportunities, and it will be more opportunity for somebody else. Thanks, Luis. Yeah, thanks to you. Great to have Luis Scola back in Indy for the series. He played for the Pacers the last two years and is now on his fourth team. He signed a one-year deal with Toronto over the offseason. His game has evolved as a 35-year-old in this league, and he's a starter on a roster that finished with the second-best record in the Eastern Conference. Up next, it's John Schumann of NBA.com. Here we go. John joins me on the phone right now to talk about Pacers-Raptors. He's in town for games three and four, parachuting in and out of various series to cover them for NBA.com. John, I obviously want to discuss the Pacers-Raptors series and how the Raptors have moved in front 2-1 to one in the best-of-seven series. But first, let's hit on your story a little bit. You've kind of built a niche on statistics and analytics as a reporter for NBA.com. You have all kinds of wild statistics, like how the Golden State Warriors have lost only one game over the last couple of years when taking a 15-point lead or more. Have you always been a numbers guy? Uh, sort of. Uh, yeah, I think um, math has always been my, my strong point Going when I was uh, going through school. Um, but... And, and I think, I think, I just think of things analytically like that. Um, in regards to basketball, no, I, I sort of got this job, you know, before I started really turning into a numbers guy. And, and I sort of the first time I, I, uh, I tried to get into some statistical analysis. I, I don't, I don't think I was very good at it. Um, but eventually evolved and I kept working at it. And, um, as the years have gone on, I've, 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 had access to better tools and we get, you know, more and more data comes our way, um, every year now. And that makes it, um, 
I guess there's more of a niche for it now, or mm-hmm. there's more of a, a, a need for it now when you're talking about basketball. And I think I was lucky in, in that uh, I came along at the right time in that regard, in that I sort of developed um, sort of my, my voice as an analytical uh, basketball analyst um, at the right time when, when, when the data is becoming uh, more and more available. Um, and so that's helped me, you know, uh, I think I have a mind for it, but I also have access to a lot of very good tools, and I think that helps. And more to that, more and more basketball fans are wanting and uh, looking forward to consuming that kind of stuff. Because five years ago, it really wasn't the norm talking about points per possession, for example. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, I think uh, those of us who who do this kind of work have done a, a decent job of the, over the last, um, five or six years of sort of educating um, both the public, um, our fellow writers, uh, even people that have been involved uh, with teams in in just sort of educating people in, in understanding what um, why sort of uh, pace adjusted numbers are important um, and sort of what other things are important in regards to shot locations or um, lineup data and stuff like that. So, um, I think, you know, as, as a, as, as a collective, I think the NBA sort of community, um, both with teams, with media and with fans is getting smarter and smarter every year, which is great. Do you have a favorite number you like to look at favorite kind of statistic? Um, well, I mean, for me, I'm, uh, you know, I'm always trying to analyze what wins and loses games. And that just starts with the score and it starts with plus minus. Like, so you, you do know, you, you do like plus minus. Yeah, I do. But obviously it, it, uh, cause it's the most important stat because what, what's, what's the object of the game is to outscore your opponent and plus minus whether on, on a team level tells you how, how well you've done outscoring your opponent um, on, an, on, on an individual level, it tells you, you know, if your team outscored your opponent while you were on the floor. Now, it, it needs a lot of context. Sure, on the individual absolutely. level, you have to know um, who you were playing with while you were out on the floor, who you were playing against while you were out on the floor, um, what kind of pace was being played while you were out there. Um, but I think if you put it in the right context and you have enough of a sample size, it can tell you a lot. Like, um, you know, for example, with, with the Raptors, you know, plus minus tells us how important, you know, guys like Patrick Paris, Patterson and, and Corey Joseph are to that team and, and how much of an impact they make, um, on the scoreboard when they come into the game and they might, may not average, you know, they may not have a, 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 a sort of the, the standard box score numbers might not be that impressive. Um, but like I said, they make a big impact and, and the scoreboard tells us that. And, uh, once you look at it over a season, over, over the course of the season, um, it tells you, you know, how important it is. So for example, this is the one I, I was joking on the radio show today of the Pacers. Only one Pacers player was positive. George Hill plus one. What does that illustrate to you? You know, on, on the game, by game basis, it's tough. You know, you'd have to watch. Um, it, it, you, I assume you're talking about game. Three. Yeah, yeah. Last night, game three. Yep. It's hard to say just because of rotations and context. That's why plus minus for yeah. me, I've always struggled with, and I'm kind of surprised they put it on the box score. 
I think it's val. I mean, for me, like from on a game by game basis, it can help you tell a story. Like if I'm um, talking last night, like for instance, uh, I wrote a little bit about Demar Carroll last night and his impact um, on the Raptors. He was a plus thirteen, and I think that showed up when you watched him in the way he defended Paul George and the energy he gave them with with some offensive rebounds and um, hitting a couple big shots and. You can see his value with Patterson and Joseph. It's it's basically the story of their whole season. I mean, those guys were had big plus minuses last night, and 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 it was clear. And and we see, you know, when the Raptors are in the first six minutes or first few minutes of the second quarter, first few minutes of the fourth quarter, when they sit DeRozan and Kyle Lowry is out with those bench guys, that's when they're the best. And and so. You know, I think something that uh, I'm trying to talk about now is that, like, the Raptors are not a good team in the first six minutes of the game, uh, generally, but they've, the last couple of games, they've had a lead in the first six minutes, and, and, and so their starting lineup as a collective has had a positive plus-minus when it usually hasn't during the season, and so that's a tough spot for the Pacers to be in. If they don't get an early lead, then they're in a tough spot because the Raptors are at their best after those first six minutes, so... Um, as far as George Hill, I mean, I think um, he's obviously an important player to the to the uh, Pacers. He's a guy who gives Paul George uh, somebody else to make some plays, and he's a good shooter. Um, you know, he hit uh, a couple of threes uh, on Thursday, and you know, it, it's it's something that will play out over the course of the series. Uh, I can't. I, just trying to think back to game three. I can't think of anything that stands out um, with regard to the way he played. Um, but I do know that, like, when the Raptors bench comes in, that's when they're really good. So you're going to see, if you look at last night, you see Stucky minus 12, uh, Solomon Hill minus 11. Mm-hmm. They're going against the Raptors' best group. Um, and so, like I said, the Pacers have to do their damage against the the, the Raptors starters, really, if they if they want to have a chance uh, in Game Four. You mentioned the Raptors typically not starting well. That's one thing I asked Frank Vogel about because in this series they have they're plus twenty three. They've outscored the Pacers in each of the first quarters throughout the series. That's one thing I think the Pacers need to change because, especially in these last two games where they've lost, um, we're recording this Friday ahead of Game Four. They haven't come out with any kind of urgency, and that especially surprised me uh, in Game 3. They kind of have home court advantage with them. They have the energy of the crowd. They just didn't do their part. Yeah, and we'll see if Vogel responds by by starting uh, Miles Turner uh, for LaVoy Allen in Game 4 like he did in the second half of Game 3. Um, you know, you talk about urgency and intensity. Um, you know, LaVoy Allen is a good player, and he has uh, a certain skill set, but he's a very casual player. <laughs> um, and, and he's not, he's not, uh, he doesn't have nearly the energy that Turner does when he's out there. Um, and so if, if, if Vogel's looking for more energy early on, LaVoy Allen uh, might be the guy who's, who's, who, who's sitting on the bench to start the games. I remember Doug Collins when LaVoy Allen was in Philadelphia, and he basically, you know, uh, was explaining how Lavoie just doesn't give a damn about anything, and he says, "I." And Collins was basically saying, and this is not saying that he doesn't care about winning and losing. He's just a, a very casual guy, and and yeah, kind of carefree. He just yeah, has a joy to carefree, him. Yeah, and Collins said something like, "I just wish once I could have a Lavoie Allen day, where you know, basically you have a carefree day." 
um, and, and go about life the way Lavoy does for, for, for one day just to, to experience that. That's a great uh, way to put it. I want to have a Lavoy Allen day. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, if you're looking for energy, uh, if, they're, if the Pacers are looking for an energy boost from the start, from the tip, uh, Turner might be the, you might see Turner in the starting lineup. It's, funny, night. it's funny you brought up Lavoy. I, I was trying to do like a serious piece on him. And this is during training camp way back. I got maybe one serious quote from him to the point where I just scrapped the story. Like, there's something yeah. carefree and just he just goes about his business. Frank Vogel always talks about him as he will go get it. Lavoy will go get it. That's kind of the quote we always talk about here in Indianapolis, uh, referring to the offensive glass. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and that's, you know, if, with the way the, the Pacers have struggled to shoot the ball, um, they may have to be more aggressive on on the glass um, and 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 try to get some some easy points that way, um, because you know they're they're you know their half court offense is a struggle. The the, the Raptors aren't going to kill you in transition if you if you send an extra guy to the glass. So it might be um, something they try to try try to focus on and trying to. Uh, give themselves some second oppor- more second opportunities. As a whole for the series, John, is this series kind of gone the way we all expected? Well, I mean, game one was another, uh, you know, I think uh, for the Raptors to lose three straight game ones at home <laughs> it's unbelievable. in the first round, yeah, is <laughs> I think it sort of put uh, a lot of pressure on them, and I think they've since responded well. So, after game one, I, I had no idea how it was going to go, so I can't say that the last two have gone as expected. But I do think in game three, we we got the realization that hey, Toronto's the better team in the series, um, and if they play, um, if they play decently, they should win it. Um, and and it's amazing that they're up two to one with their two uh, all star guards shooting thirty one percent. Um, but that also tells you just how they how deep they are and, and how important their bench is um, uh, to what they do, and also tells you uh, how much of an impact Balanchunas has made, been able to make inside against uh, a smaller you know Indiana front line. Yeah, this the bench hadn't for Toronto really hadn't gotten much play in this market. It's, it's primarily Valanciunas, and who is this guy? Why don't the Pacers have a guy like it? Uh, it's it's been astounding to see the numbers that he's drawn in, averaging 16 rebounds per game, and it's even more telling of how the Pacers kind of need a physical big man moving forward. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, the Pacers. It, it's just amazing how they had this plan of playing small and playing fast, and and they sort of settled back into their same uh, old identity of of playing two big guys together and and being a, a top five defensive team and and still struggling um offensively and i think this is sort of a year in of transition for them um and then now i think obviously the front line is is something they have to focus on obviously if turner can continue to develop and take maybe a big step forward um next year that that solves some issues and then you're just going to have to they're going to have to figure out again if 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 they're going to try if they're going to continue to to play two bigs they're going to try to um play more small ball like they tried at the beginning of the season we're going to see um you know they have a lot of uh questions to answer but i think they they do have some positives 
uh, going forward, and I think Turner is obviously a big part of that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. They talked all offseason, going back to about this time last year, about we're going to do things differently. We're not sure if Roy Hibbert would be in the starting lineup, which, well, they would officially trade him a couple months later. They tried to go to small ball, and it worked successfully during that November stretch of their schedule, but what it did do was wear down C.J. Miles to the point where I think all these nagging injuries have caught up with them from playing that power forward spot, and I, I do think moving forward they're going to want to go towards that small ball, but I think right now with the way the roster is currently constructed, I think that's one of the biggest issues for this Pacers team is just how they're constructed currently. Yeah, I think they just need more flexibility. Um, you know, obviously Paul George is a very versatile forward. Miles, not not as much. Um, but I think just the, the versatility like you see like with the Golden State with their roster, I mean, that's a team that, you know, we always talk about their their ability to play small ball and their ability to play Draymond Green at center, but Green still plays uh, more than half of his minutes at power forward. But they just have that ability to go small when they need to or to go small for um, 12 to 15 minutes a game um, and have that punch. And, and so um, I think for the Pacers, uh, you know, going forward, it's, it's, it's about versatility, maybe some, some more versatile bigs. Um, that can play uh, the four or five and have another forward that can play the three or four um, uh, more comfortably, obviously, than than Miles was able to do. Moving forward, I see kind of the priorities maybe this offseason is that big stretch four and and then a true point guard because it seems like this has become somewhat a point guard's league with so many talented point guards, but for years now, the Pacers have not had the true point guard they've coveted. Yeah, I mean, George, George Hill is a good sort of offensive caretaker and, and a good shooter, um, but he just doesn't have that, that burst that you're looking for um, from a point guard, a guy who can who come off the screen and be a, a, a more of a threat than, than Hill is. Monte Ellis gives him that ele- element a little bit, but it, it's obviously a little bit more um, erratic. But like if, even in this series, if you look at a, a Toronto having both Lowry and Corey Joseph as two um, quick point guards who who are sort of triple threats as as guys who can shoot, who can dribble, who can pass, coming off of a a, uh, a pick and roll and really create problems uh, for the defense. Like if you can get that guy come off a screen and have that burst, that the defense is now you know going to ha- got to help off of wherever they are. That that obviously uh, creates a lot of open opportunities for the other guys on the floor. It's kind of astounded me how sour people have gone here in Indianapolis about Monte Ellis. And I think the expectation, at least it was for me, was that a guy that in crunch time, come winning time, he could be that guy that gets you a couple baskets, hit the game-winning shot. Because Paul George really hadn't done that in his career thus far. But I look at the advanced numbers on on his shooting last night in the shot chart. He did not make a basket outside the semicircle inside the paint. Yeah, I think uh, you know what. T- what I think it explains it, or what explains Monte Ellis to me is like last year, he had some really good chemistry with Dirk Nowitzki in Dallas, um, and I think that Rick Carlisle is maybe the the coach that brought the best out of him, uh, especially offensively, where he would he'd run a pick and roll with Dirk or a pick and pop with Dirk. Um, he made good decisions a lot of the time. He he you know he led the dre- the league in drives one year, um, so he's an attacker. Um, and so he was a he was a real threat for 
defenses, and you put a, put him and Dirk in a pick and pop, and and it it, it creates some really tough decisions. Um, but even with all that, Dallas was willing to let him go. So I think that sort of tells you um, uh, a little bit about maybe his long term reliability. You know, he's going to have his he's going to have some big games. He may have a big month. You know, here or there. Um, but long term, you you know, you've got to be able to trust him with the ball. Um, because obviously he, he he's not comfortable playing off the ball. Yeah, need more consistency from him, and really this whole Pacers roster, the consistency and ability to close games, those have really been the storyline all season long. I'm curious where you stand um, on Pacer coach Frank Vogel's rotations, because those have been under a lot of heat lately, too, of how he's kind of stubborn in the way he, he subs. It's kind of the starters, the bench, and when he goes to the bench, guys, you have three of the top players, Monte Ellis, Paul George, and George Hill all sitting in the bench, and it seems like it's during that time when the Raptors, or whoever the opponent is for that matter, really makes the run. Yeah, I think uh, having all three of those guys sit at the same time is a mistake, but, I mean, he knows his team better than I do. Um but still, I think you've got to, especially with the offensively, you've got to have somebody who can, um, like I said, create problems for the defense. George obviously does that. Um, Ellis at least has that threat, um, uh, that a- attack threat um, in him. And Hill is, is a, like I said, a good caretaker and a good shooter. Um, I love that, caretaker. Yeah, it's a good like, way to explain yeah, him a little bit. He, he, yeah, he's not going gonna to keep his mistakes to a minimum. Um, you know, they had 17 turnovers. I think he, I'm looking at the box where he only had one of them, uh, the other day. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, I, I, I'm, I don't know if people have questioned him, uh, Vogel about, you know, sitting all three of those guys at the same time. Um, but it is a little bit curious, but you know, he's, he does, I don't think he has a lot to work with. Um, a lot of, uh, reliable guys to work with, uh, beyond um, his top uh, three or four players. You know, I think Stuckey is erratic. Um, uh, Solomon Hill is, is, is erratic. Uh, Turner is still just a rookie. Um, Ty Lawson obviously hasn't worked out. And Miles has just, you know, fallen off a cliff after, um, you know, a really good start to the season. So um, it's, you know, I think they're still... You know, I don't think those guys has have provided him any answers in regard to um, what he can re- rely on beyond after the first six minutes of the first and third quarters. So it's tough. He's got you know trying to I don't you know trying to find the right mix of guys uh, beyond your starting lineup is is difficult. And I don't think, like I said, I don't think the the players have given him any easy answers. Coming into the postseason and previewing this series, I thought it was interesting. Pacers coach Frank Vogel, Indianapolis native and Toronto coach Dwayne Casey, they're up there on the longest tenured list of coaches in the league. Vogel's fourth, Dwayne Casey's fifth. It's amazing how time flies. It feels like those guys have only been there a couple years, but that's kind of the way things go in coaching. We're already seeing Tom Thibodeau and Scotty Brooks already land their next gigs. It's just not a profession I think is easy to be in. Yeah, you would think that that teams would value continuity a little bit more. Um, but, it, and I've said in the past, I think, you know, there's so much, there are a lot of sort of elements to being a, a good head coach in the NBA, you know, just that you have to have a good offense. You have to have a good defense. You have to have good relationships with your players. You have to good, have a good relationship with your front office. 
You have to be a motivator. You have to be able to make adjustments within a game. You have to, you know, there's, there's just all these different things. And really, there's, there's no coach out there, maybe Greg Popovich, who's sort of beyond reproach right, in every right. one of the categories that you have to tick off. And then, but it only takes one category for uh, a team to justify firing you. You know, like if, oh, Thibodeau had a bad relationship with his front office. So we're in Chicago, so, you know, he's gone. Or, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, didn't have good rotations or whatever. He's gone. Scott Brooks, uh, you know, the team's offense was uh, too vanilla, so he's gone. You're like, So I think, like, you can justify firing a coach for, for one of a thousand different reasons. And so it, it's a difficult job, and no, nobody's going to be perfect at all those different things. Um, you know, you, you need to have a good staff behind you, but it, like I said, you know, um, it takes time to develop the skills of being a head coach and, and a lot of guys don't get enough of a, uh, enough time and enough of a, an opportunity, um, to develop their own sort of coaching skills as, as we, as we, as players do sort of, they have to develop their skills as well. The simplistic way I look at it is that. NBA head coaches are more game managers in addition to all the other kind of characteristics that go into it. Like you said, whereas I look in the college game, and that's really where it's a coach's league. The coach sets the schedule. The coach recruits. The coach hires whomever he wants to be on his staff and work within that program. Well, I think college, number one, is recruiting. You know, you can get the talent. Like The NBA coaches don't really have control over the talent they're given, whereas college coaches, if you can get the talent, you're in your you know, you're more than halfway there to having a good basketball team and having success. So um, it's, it's a big, it's a, it's a totally different job. Um, and again, like in NBA, game management is, is, is critical and, and being able to, um, you know, have your team, you know, have the, put together an offense that, that works, that takes advantage of your personnel, but also, um, put together a defense that can uh, stop the best offenses in this league. It's it's there's a lot to it, um, you know, and it's difficult. It's not a position I'd ever want to be in, and and we it's easy to criticize because you can just see one little thing and mm-hmm. say, oh, that was a mistake. Um, but you know, who knows how we'd all do in that same position? We'd probably make be making a lot more mistakes, and especially nowadays with all the commitments, speaking engagements, uh, the media obligations, all the various things you have to do for your team, plus going over film and analytics. Yeah, as you said, I think it would be a headache. Well, before coming to Indianapolis, John, you were at another series, so I want to get your take on other games going on in the NBA playoffs and the playoffs as a whole. Two or three games in and all the different series, and thus far, it's just kind of been bland. We've seen four or five different games decided by over 25 points. What do you make of what we've seen thus far? Yeah, you know, I I, I talked to somebody on the radio, and the guy was like, yeah, the first round's been a complete dud. And and I was like, oh, we've only gotten through, you know, one game and some series, two games and other series. And, you know, things can turn on a dime, especially when you go to the second city for game three. Um and so I think there's still opportunities for us to have some, some drama. I, I do agree that, like, individual games, there hasn't been much uh, in regard to fourth-quarter drama in individual games. We got a good one last night. Uh, yeah, that's Houston the only one that comes to mind Golden when we were State. looking at that one. Yeah, Detroit-Cleveland has gone down to the wire a little bit. But, yeah, I think, 
the drama has been absent from some of the from the late games, and I think that's what has people a little bit disappointed. But I still think there's a lot uh, to be played out, especially in the East, where um, things are so even in a, in a few of these uh, series. So I think you know, with Atlanta going to Boston, things can turn in that series. With um, Miami going to Charlotte, things can turn in that series. Um, and with Cleveland and Detroit, things can get 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 a little bit more interesting in that series as well. So uh, um, I'm still I'm 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 still a little bit optimistic that we're going to see a little bit more drama in this uh, first round than we've seen so far. I'll tell you what, I really enjoy reporting and covering the NBA postseason, just everything that goes into it and the interest level. But more than that, I just enjoy watching it. But with two or three games gone in each of these series, you just haven't had the down-to-the-wire competitiveness that we all hope for. Last thing for me, John, do you ultimately see the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron, back in the NBA Finals? You know what? I think I've, I guess the chances of it happening have lessened a little bit in my mind just seeing how well um both atlanta and miami have played so far like i I just said that those series could turn on dime but i also have been impressed with how both of those how well both of those teams have played atlanta has been fantastic defensively you know they had the number two defense in the league um and the number one defense after christmas basically um and they've done a fantastic job of shutting down uh isaiah thomas and the celtics um, and so I think that Atlanta-Cleveland series in the conference semifinals can be a much more interesting series than it was in the conference finals last year. And I think Miami is uh, another really dangerous team uh, that could, poss- if they get through Toronto... Uh, Wouldn't it be fun to see Cleveland-Miami? Cleveland-Miami would be uh, fantastic. I was kind of hoping that Miami would be on, on the same side, but so that they could see each other in the conference semifinals. But um, I wouldn't mind seeing that in the conference finals either. And I think, um, you know, Cleveland is the favorite, but they're a little bit less of a favorite uh, in my mind than they were uh, before these playoff series started. And I know it's only two games in each of those series, but I've been really impressed by both Atlanta and Miami, and I think they could be uh, potential uh, uh, foils for, for the Cavs. Outstanding, man. That's John Schumann. You can read his work online at NBA.com. Thanks again, John. Yep, anytime. My thanks to Luis Scola for the chat in the locker room. Always good to catch up with him. And then John Schumann for taking the time to talk about the postseason. Remember, Game 4 at Bankers Life Fieldhouse is set for 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will air on TNT. All fans in attendance will receive a gold rally towel, and then the Pacers will play Tuesday up in Toronto for Game 5. Well, my shout-out for this week goes to the Pacers training staff. The team is in the playoffs, and not one player is missing time due to an injury. Nobody is 100% at this time, obviously, but the availability of the full 15-man roster reflects well on the outstanding job done by trainers Josh Corbeil and Carl Eaton, plus strength coaches Sean Wendell and Andy Martin. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great weekend.